Let's pray. Heavenly Father, calm our hearts and open them to receive your word. Open our ears and our eyes to do your bidding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. And for those who don't know me, I'm Julian, and I'm on the leadership here at Christchurch. Um, and this morning, we're concluding our mini-series on radical discipleship with a well-known saying of Jesus, the first will be last and the last first. To recap briefly, a fortnight ago, James talked about uh, needing to be focused on D- Jesus and his teachings uh, And last week, Andy spoke to us about the cost of following Jesus. Well, of course, I was under pressure to come along with a snappy phrase that begins with the letter F, following Jesus' focus and Andy's follow Jesus. So I've come up with this, favour others. Because it picks up from both of these two, It's a nice, neat, practical reminder, and we can give it to ourselves when we're applying the word to our daily life. Favour others. And it is an act of humility. So, all three go to the heart of what it means to be a radical disciple of Jesus. And they echo the summary of his teaching in Luke 10, verse 27, which is a summary of the law that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. So let's see what was going on when Jesus said these words. It's recorded four times on four different occasions in the Gospels, and each time Jesus said the phrase, He tweaked it a little for the audience he was speaking to or for the point he was making. So the first two come from around our reading today. Um, And if you've got your Bibles, please do turn to that. Um, All the other other scriptures will be on the screen, but um, if you have your Bibles open, does anyone have the... So it's Matthew 19 we're going to start with, verse 30, just before our reading. And in Matthew 19, uh, 19, verse 30, it says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then it's mirrored by the one in our reading in chapter 10. But Jesus flips it on his head and says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The third mention is in Luke 13, verse 30, the teaching of the narrow door. And Andy touched on that last week. The fourth is in Mark 9, verse 35, and we may come back to these if time permits. But let's concentrate on the first two. You see, because they are linked, but they're aimed at two different audiences. Both times, Jesus intended to shock his listeners, and it would be a reaction to the first that would lead to Jesus' teaching in the second. So, if you'd like to look in your Bibles, in the section just prior to our reading, and in chapter 19, we see that Jesus is first approached by young children, and then by a rich young man. And to both, Jesus gave us an insight on what it takes to be a radical disciple. To trust, 
like little children, and to put aside worldly idols like money and possessions. And the disciples were shocked at Jesus' words. They shared the common illusion that wealth was a mark of divine favour on the person who had it. Especially the young man who appeared on the surface to be so devout. He knew all the law. But Jesus knew the man's heart. He knew that the man's riches were an idol in his life and prevented him from trusting God completely, unlike the little children. The disciples were not satisfied with Jesus' reply, so they questioned him further. Verse 25 says, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus then acknowledged to Peter that he and his brother disciples would sit in heaven as reward for following him, but went on to say that all who committed themselves fully to Jesus would receive that reward. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That is his promise for those who fully, fully commit themselves to a life following him. And then we get this throwaway line. And it's a warning for the rich ruler and the Jewish authorities who assume that their privilege guaranteed them favour with God and a place in his kingdom. But many who are first will be last and the last first. It's a simple enough statement, but it has a profound meaning shows just how far apart God and mankind are in terms of values. For first century Jews, it was as if Jesus was speaking in code. And we know the disciples weren't the brightest bunch. It's a shame we can't see the look on their faces. But Jesus could. And I suspect that's why he continued with his teaching with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's look at that. Chapter 20. The parable tells of a landowner who has a vineyard and he hires workers at a daily rate. Then throughout the day, he continues to hire more workers right up to late afternoon when he finds even more people, who presumably were those whom nobody else would hire. Why were they standing around doing nothing? At five. And he hires them as well. Well, the landowner is meant to represent God, and the workers are meant to represent Israel. Those hired first 
they would have been their Jewish elite. And then as time goes by, others lower down the social scale are hired. All receive the same reward, which was promised the promised amount. One denarius, that was a day's pay. Even though some had walked, uh, worked all day and others one hour. Well, the story would have caused indignation among the disciples because it seems so unfair. Where was the justice in this? But God was just and paid the agreed wages to all in full. He was acting out of grace by allowing all to receive the reward regardless of the time worked. Tom Wright helpfully puts it like this. God's grace, in short, is not the sort of thing you can bargain with or try to store up. It isn't the sort of thing that one person can have a lot of and someone else only a little. God doesn't make contracts with us. He makes covenants in which he promises us everything and asks of us everything in return. Those who serve as the least in God's kingdom are the most blessed. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And it was a sharp reminder to the disciples in case they became full of pride like the Jewish leaders. It applies to us today. Pride is a tough thing to spot because it comes with a blind spot. To become radical disciples, we need something that keeps us humble and on mission. We need radical transformation. Has anyone seen the TV show Masters of Flip? No? Okay. That's okay. A confession, it's probably my wife's favourite show on TV at the moment. Sorry, Carol. It's a pretty basic format. Presenters Dave and Courtney Wilson buy a rundown house, they renovate it and transform it into a beautiful bigger home, which they then sell for a profit. Imagine you are the derelict house. Okay? Or that's the bit on the left-hand side. Okay? And maybe you have a few rooms that look like these, the before pictures. You see, Jesus is the renovator. And he gets the Holy Spirit to transform your house room by room. The after pictures, they become a true and fit place for him to dwell. I'll leave it on the last one. But before God can do any of that transformation work in us, we need to let him. 
That's why the Apostle Paul urged us in Romans 12 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This last little bit at the end, in verse 3, is crucial. We need to take off our rose-tinted glasses and see ourselves in the true light. Sober judgment means that we must see ourselves from God's perspective and the world from his vantage point. Christ first, others second, me third. So we're going to explore some questions. Are we seeing things with sober judgment? Are we just busying ourselves with church things and doing what we call Christian stuff? Or are we truly reflecting Jesus? Are we really loving our neighbour as ourselves? You see, because to people who do not know Jesus, we need to reflect him with our words, our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviour, our hospitality, our giving, our service. And to people who do know him, our fellow Christ followers, we need to reflect the community that God has modelled in the Trinity. The holy community of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which he desires us to share in as sons and daughters in Christ. Whether we like it or not, as Christians, we need to just love the people we come into contact with. We need to put them first. And I'll be honest with you, this is hard. Especially if you're like me. I'm not a people person. No, I'm not. I'm really an, ex- an introvert. So I actually have to make myself do extrovert things. Henri Nguyen said this, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Well, the scriptures have a lot to say about this as well. In Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our example. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can change us. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's from Corinthians. So how are we progressing with loving and serving others? Well, here's something you might like to try when you next go shopping. And you're faced with a series of cues. Select the longest, not the shortage. But don't stop there. Because we know sometimes the longest can actually go faster if people have less items or there's an awkward person in the short queue. Okay? No cheating. Okay? Let someone in front of you when you're in that queue. Again, I'm sure we've all let someone in front of us who just has a bottle of milk or a couple of items. There's no cost to that. Let someone in front who has more items than you. Then let another person. And another person. Keep doing it until it hurts. Yes. Or until the store closes. Or until the manager asks you to stop. The point of it is, it's a simple test of how much we favour others above ourselves. Because we all value our time, so sacrificing it for others in this way is literally saying, your time is more important than mine, I'm putting you ahead of me. Okay. So now we might have an indication, because I'm sure you're all thinking about how many you'd let through, of where we are in this. So how can we help Holy Spirit in the renovation process? How can we love people better and serve them? Well, first, we can get into community with like-minded Christ followers. And this is vital for our journey of transformation. And it's my experience that these people are there for a reason, a kingdom reason. And I thank God that I have trusted people around me who've spoken wisdom into my life and helped me on my journey. It means putting your trust in someone and allowing them to be honest with you. But it's worth it. And I give a shout-out to Andy and Carol Betts, who've done this for me. 
even very recently. And of course, Carol, my wife. Very recently. <clears throat> the next is get your heart right. And I found I can do this more easily through fully committing to worship, what Isaiah the prophet called putting on the garment of praise. And I'm thankful for the past four years that I've had the privilege of being led in worship by James, who has a heart for worship that is second to none at CCB. He may not be the finest musician, he would say that himself. But he has a heart for worship that I, I envy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the community of the saints is not an ideal community consisting of perfect and sinless men and women where there is no further need of repentance. No, it is a community which proves that it is worthy of the gospel of forgiveness by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness. Forgive people when they upset you. And I'm thankful to another long-term member of CCB who lived in my road but who died a number of years ago. A lady by the name of Sylvia Duckworth. Some of you will remember her. And she blessed me with a wonderful word of wisdom when it comes to forgiveness. She recalled to me that she was driving in her car and somebody cut her up. Immediately she said, I'm sorry, Lord, for that thought. I forgive that person. Then she explained to me, when I, get to the, when I get to the pearly gates, I do not want to fall at the hurdle of unforgiveness. What does Jesus warn his followers? Right at, the, right at the end of what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's an act of humility. Loving people means forgiving them. But of course, these things are difficult to do. And we have to be particularly alert because we have an enemy who wants to rob us of friendships and relationships. You see, Satan despises community. And passages of Scripture like Ephesians 6, which is putting on the armour of God, and praying these passages of Scripture. And I thank Jean Corney for uh, showing me that in the first home group that I ever went to at Christ Church. Because it's a great thing to do. They keep our hearts safe from the enemy and our eyes fixed on the heavenly kingdom, not on the earthly one. And they stop the enemy massaging our pride and hardening our hearts. Jesus wanted his disciples to remember this because they too could easily become full of their own self-importance and they often did. And in Mark 9, verse 35, he said these words. Because he'd overheard them talking about who among them was the greatest. 
And again, he said our passage. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And he added, the servant of all. Well, we can do something for someone else. And many of us do. But let's see it through. Let's not just say it in our minds. Let's actually do it. Even better if there's a cost or a sacrifice to it. James says in his letter, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to you, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Get involved in a ministry that will help others and stretch you. Renew, food bank, night shelter, maybe even Hope Corner. Well, I'm going to finish with this thought. You see, when we leave here today, we'll be faced with choices. And all through the week, we'll have choices. What will be our choice? Will it be something that God asks of us? Will it be something that helps others? Or will it be something for ourselves? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave the ultimate sacrifice for us, Jesus. I thank you that we're going to be having communion in a minute to just celebrate that. The ultimate act of humility, the ultimate act of service to a people who had gone away from you. What an amazing God you are. I pray now that you are, your transforming work is starting to take root in our hearts. And I pray it will flow out into our lives this week and onwards. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.